You're listening to Film School, broadcasting every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time at KUCI 88.9 FM, Irvine, California, and on the web at KUCI.org slash filmschool. I'm Nathan Callahan. And I'm Mike Kaspar. In her latest documentary, Protagonist, our guest today, Jessica Yu, weaves together the stories of four men, a German terrorist, a bank robber, a gay evangelist, and a martial arts student. As their stories unfold, the parallels between the uncommon yet common experience of these seemingly four unrelated characters appears. Yu's 1996 film, Breathing Lessons, The Life and Work of Mark O'Brien, won the Oscar for Best Documentary Short Subject, her extraordinary 2004 feature documentary in the realms of the unreal, the story of Henry Darger, was nominated for the 2006 Primetime Emmy Award. Jessica Yu, welcome to Film School. Thanks for having me. How's it in uh, La Cañada today? Oh, it's just sunny and crisp and pretty, and I feel like just sort of sitting here and staring out the window, which I'll do for the next 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> are, you, are you looking out towards the Angeles Forest by any chance? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's a beautiful, beautiful mountain range and a really what this time of year it's really nice up there, isn't it? Yeah, you can actually see all the mountain tops. <laughs> yeah. Any snow up on top of those uh hills? Not yet. Okay. No. Okay. no. Well, thanks very much for the interview, Jessica. <laughs> thanks, oh, th- thanks for stopping yes, by. <laughs> just kidding, of course. That's an ex- extraordinary film. How did you come upon the four characters that are in this film, protagonist? sort of interesting is, you know, the, the intention was to find four individuals whose stories were very different on the surface, but who ended up having a very similar experience, you know, at a certain time in their lives. So two of them, um, two of the men in the film, I knew already, Joe Loya, the bank robber, and Mark Salzman, the ex-martial arts fanatic. But the other two, it took about eight, actually about eight months to find the perfect mix. Because it's such a strange thing to look for, I mean, it was such a needle in the haystack, you know, trying to find people who had had kind of, you know, extremist, anti-heroic journey for a while in their lives. Did you do a question and answer process, an interview for the others? Did you go online? How did you find the German terrorist? I was working with my producers, Elise Perlstein and Susan West, and a couple of interns, and we just meet every two weeks in a wine bar and okay. bringing the, the subjects that we had found. And we would find them, you know, by, of course, going on the Internet a lot, reading a lot of magazines and books and talking to people and just trying to think of unconventional ways to find people. And actually Klein, the German ex-terrorist, I found by Googling some sort of, you know, crazy, I was just Googling crazy phrases, you know, to try to find someone whose story Uh might, uh, you know, uh, align with what we were looking for. And what I was connected to was a very badly Google translated German site that was um, talking about him, his imminent release from prison. Do you remember the terms? Just out of curiosity. (laughs) I think it was something like... uh, all of a sudden, everything came crashing down or something like really? that. I mean, it was really <laughs> that point where I just thought, how are we going to find somebody yeah. who who had this experience who is not like the others that we had? And, you know, the other thing that was the real unknown is just finding people who were also good storytellers. Yeah. In that case, we got really lucky. I mean, the only four people we interviewed over the eight months were the four in the film. Really? So, so there wasn't yeah. like a fifth person out there that got dropped at the last moment or anything like that? No, no, it was really, uh, I mean, came uh, together. we definitely would have done that, but uh, we didn't have to resort to that. So. Now, now, did you say that the bank robber, it's Joy, I mean, Joy, Joe Loya, <laughs> did you know him? Yeah, Joe huh? Loya's been a, a friend for years, and then Mark Salzman's actually my husband. Oh. Ah. 
the Grolichen. So, you know, it wasn't from the beginning that I knew those two were going to be in there, but, you know, I was definitely thinking that they might be two of um, the characters and, you know, depending on who the other two were that we could get. When was he robbing banks? Oh, gosh. Um, Joe robbed banks over um, a long... Well, the thing is, he was in prison for, I think, uh-huh. about nine years total. How long? So, about nine years total. Nine years, total. okay. Um, but that's, you know, but he was finally um, released for good, and I believe it was 94 or 95. Oh, really? So it was in the, the early 80s when he was uh, uh, robbing banks in Los Angeles, it looks like, from that map. Yeah, he was yeah. kind of in and out. There were a couple of stints there. So mm. I, I only ask because one of the banks that you showed, I believe, was on La Brea, and, and I happened to walk into a bank robbery in about 1992 there. And uh, oh, yeah. I thought, you know, I might have run into Joy Lowe. No, it wasn't Joe. Joe. <laughs> sure you have that one. Yeah. Um, let, let's, uh, let's back up a little bit because the film is about these four people, but it's also, there's kind of an arching perspective that's brought to the film by an ancient Greek playwright, Euripides. When did you decide you wanted to base the spine of this on Euripides? Well, this is the thing. You know, I was approached about uh, making a film about Euripides by Greg Carr and Noble Smith of the Carr Foundation. This is after In the Realms of the Unreal showed at Sundance. And, um, and I, you know, I, I honestly had no idea how one would make a film about Euripides, the man, in reading all of the plays that are existing. I was just struck by how contemporary so much of the writing was, especially in terms of just the wrestling with these issues of human nature. And this, this particular journey, just to give you a little you know, a little sketch of it was just this idea that how is it that someone can start out on a journey for logical or even moral reasons in some cases and then end up being so obsessed that they become essentially the opposite of what mm-hmm. they had intended. You know, it's basically how do, how do, you know, how do good intentions go awry mm-hmm. so bad? So that was what I was interested in. And our, our abbreviation for it is it's sort of an extremist journey, but you know, that's something that can be played out on a smaller scale, like our martial arts story, or on a much bigger scale with a lot of impact, which is Klein, the German ex-terrorist story. So that was the idea, and I thought that, you know, if I could tell four stories that seem to be very different from each other and tie it back to um, this sort of classic narrative structure that Euripides um, had created that, you know, would say something about basic human vulnerability that probably we all have to some extent sort of lose track of what we're doing. Well, it has to do with certainty too, uh, yeah. at least with these these four characters that they're and and the breakdown of that certainty. Is there something you you took out of this film after uh, reading Euripides and seeing these characters? Is there a, a lesson about certainty you'd like to uh, share with me? <laughs> well, you know, I don't think that I, yeah, I'd like to say that I feel much wiser and everything, but <laughs> probably um, as a parent, I feel a little less pressure to make sure that kids learn everything. It's, I think that you really feel that um, there is something about being a, um, a filmmaker, even, and you get obsessed with projects and everything. There's Probably there are some things that we can tell ourselves or we can read about or see in a you know book or a movie or something and think, oh, that's not going to happen to me. I know that lesson. But there's probably a lot of things that we just have to stumble through and discover on our own as we've already you know created our own damage. I think that uh, probably most of the... the characters in this film would agree. We're speaking with uh, Jessica Yu, and the uh, film is uh, the protagonist. It's opening this Friday um, down here at the... Uh, no, the. Did I say? You said the protagonist, okay. Mike. You should be ashamed of yourself. Sorry about that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's opening at the South 
Coast Plaza Theater here, the Regency, and also at the Lemley Five Sunset Five in in Hollywood uh-huh. uh, this Friday. Now, the way you present Euripides is through the original Greek with subtitles and puppets, and I I think I read that that the puppets came pretty late in the in the film process. How did that happen? And everyone out there's going, "What did he say? Just say puppets?" Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah. these these are very beautiful, elaborate puppets. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I know. It's like everyone has their inner vision of a puppet. It's, yeah. they're, they're these really yeah. amazing uh, hand-carved um, wooden, creepy, yes. cool puppets. But the whole idea was that I knew that there needed to be some sort of connective tissue between the stories visually. So originally I had been thinking of animation because the way that these Greek excerpts work, it's almost like the Greek chorus. You know, they kind of comment on the bigger action. But then again, we have the fact that we've got these four men and their stories, and, you know, most of them are not public figures, so to try to um, depict some pivotal events from their history, um, I thought it'd be great if that could somehow be the same thing that we're using. The idea behind these puppets is that when the the plays were originally staged in in ancient Greece, uh, the actors would wear these large fixed masks so that, you know, the people in the nosebleed section in these big arenas would be able to tell who was speaking. That was the idea, to have these puppets that are basically wearing these fixed wooden uh, heads. And so it was just a really, really fun thing to do. I mean, uh, uh-huh. puppeteering is so tactile, you know, and it was, uh, it was really a great experience to try to make that, uh, to make that all work. How, how did they take direction? Well, I I I like the 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 idea of the masks on them and the 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 the, the expressions as is is a throwback to the ancient times when when actors wore masks. In fact, I didn't realize it, but I read the material where it said that they often use these masks to be able to project their voices. You're sort of a, a sort of a a miking system, if you will, for for these people back in in the ancient times. Yeah, kind of very fascinating. Uh, so they were a multi they were a multi purpose. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Well, and the, and in the film, obviously, their, their expressions convey much of what is being said by Euripides. So it's uh, and you used uh, an actor who spoke in the ancient tongue. We had several actors, although I have to say it was a real scramble towards the end because, you know, being an ignoramus about such things, I didn't realize that the ancient Greek was going to be so different from modern Greek. So we had Greek-speaking actors, and they were wonderful actors, but they showed up and, and everyone freaked out a little bit because modern Greek and ancient Greek are different from each other, more, more so than Latin is to English. And so luckily one of our actors, his mother, happens to be an, an expert in ancient Greek. And so we had her on the phone for literally about four and a half hours while we recorded this. Wow. Uh, so, you know, it was kind of a, just a, it was a fascinating process because I feel like at every step, um, you know, usually when you're working on a film, things are, uh, you know, you're having to, constantly pitch your idea, write proposals or whatever, and then you kind of go through, and there's certain discoveries along the way, but in this particular film, a lot of the creative decisions were allowed to evolve, you know, like the idea of doing puppets, say, instead of animation at the end. So, you know, that was something that was, for me personally, just, you know, it felt really wonderful to have that kind of leeway. Were you considering using the person who animates the uh, scene titles? Uh, do the animation for it because those are those are very nice too. The, the, I thought which, it's wonderful. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. A, we have a, this um, a- animator uh, Robert Connor who did these the beautiful titles you mentioned. Uh-huh. 
I think that those worked. The thing is that with like all documentaries, everyone's sort of doing things in addition to their day job. So I think it would have been pretty hard for Robert to, to handle all of the animating duties if we had decided to go with animation instead of puppets. But the main thing with puppets is that there's something um, very tactile about them. And also, you know, with a mask, you and whether you, you know, subconsciously you end up projecting your own experiences and emotions on them. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing how emotive they can feel, yeah. you know. And, and also, the, the 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 about using the puppets. There's something timeless. There's something that yeah. it, it 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 pulls you in in sort of a in a timeless device, if you will. Like Kukla Fran and Ollie. Well, like Cook, like yeah. Kukla Fran and Ollie. <laughs> We're speaking with Jessica Yu, the film's protagonist. And it's opening this Friday at South Coast Village in Costa Mesa at the Lemley Five on oh. Sunset. In Los Angeles. In Los Angeles. You mentioned that your husband is, in fact, one of the subjects of the film. Were you doing the interviews, the on on camera interviews? That's a really good question because the thing is, Mark is a—he's just an amazing storyteller. He's very funny, and yeah. I, I knew that we needed one example that was a little bit lighter in the four um, because there's some pretty heavy stuff in there. And um, but uh, yes, he has told me uh, these stories before. Although oh, I, I was going to ask you, yeah, uh, did he reveal anything new to you in the course of this film that you didn't oh, know? Uh, oh, absolutely. I mean, mainly just the fact that uh, a lot of these stories, you know, it's whatever comedy is tragedy plus plus time. He went to the, you know, when he was telling them, a lot of times he went to the pre-comedy moment, you know, in telling the stuff. So there was a lot of a lot of detail um, and and depth there. But what I did was actually I made up a list of questions and I gave them to Joe Loya because we did those interviews on the same day and had him feed the questions to Mark. And then I went in for the follow-ups. And this way, you know, Mark, in the initial telling of these things, could feel like he was telling it to somebody, you know, who hasn't heard them. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, and that just makes it more comfortable, I think, and fun for everybody. Going back to sort of the Greek theme with this film... Uh, there's a lot of a lot of these stories, or a, a few of the predominant themes of uh, a couple of their stories, have to do with their relationship with their father, or right. lack thereof, and it's very telling, and it's very it's, it's very universal. Yeah, I think you know it was interesting at um, Sundance. Three of the uh, four characters, the two Marks and Joe, were yeah. together, and they were talking about this and um, how. You know, their stories said different things about the notions of masculinity and what it means to be a man and fathers and sons. A lot of them talked about how that there's sort of in modern life an absence of the manhood ritual, you know, where you step over the threshold and, you know, you're accepted as a man. And I think a lot of that, um, you know, people end up making up their own rituals. But I think a lot of that has to do with if your father figure is not someone who sets that up for you or enables you to, to have that experience. Or worse, in or fact, worse, or, or violates worse. you in ways that, uh, you know, as, as the case with Joe. Joe and Klein, and yes. Klein, yeah. Very yeah. abusive fathers. And I think about those things, then people end up, I think, m- making decisions in their lives that are in response to that rather than sort of more, you know, purely thinking, oh, this is the right way to go. It's, I'm going to do this because my father would have hated this. Right. You know? Well, which brings up an interesting sort of idea that people who gravitate towards extreme behavior or extreme ideology, do they do it, some do it out of it as a reaction, and did you find some do it because it's part of a journey that they're on? What we were looking for is people who, uh, in the moment at the time, um, were embarking on uh, the journey uh, of their own free will. Um, There were some people who were, you know, sort of swept up in some, uh, you know, there were people who had joined cults and, you know, were really worked on. What we were looking for was people who felt like they had figured it out and they were following the path 
so that things were, were, quote, good for a while before they turned bad. Mm-hmm. The degree to which they became involved was, was what we were really, um, you know, hoping to, to explore with each one of the, the people. But the details varied in each situation. We didn't want to tell the same story four times. Yeah. Now, uh, Mark Pierpont, uh, I, I love the old footage that you got of him. Was was that from his collection? The uh, we're talking a, an evangelical gay, uh, but who who renounced his gayness? And and there's there's some great old footage of him singing in front of a, a TV congregation. Was that easily available? Yeah. You know, I love Mark Pierpont because when we we interviewed him, I tell you, you know, there was a real feeling of some things that he was saying. Um, that he was figuring out in, in with a certain clarity for the first time, or, or at least speaking it aloud for the first time. So we have this amazing interview, and he's talking about how he thought he had cured himself, and you know he was spreading the word that you know you didn't have to live in the clutches of homosexuality. And then, of course, you know, uh, found out that uh, he was still essentially who he was as a, uh, when he was growing up. So we have this amazing interview, and then he mentions that he has some of these tapes and. You know, that uh, uh-huh. we want to take a look at him, and, you know, your heart just starts beating. You think, really, he's got this stuff? And you watch it, and it's, some of it is just sadly hilarious. You know, he's on these shows just, you know, uh, he's singing, and he's, you know, talking about, thank God he's been released from homosexuality and all this stuff. And then there's other places that his journey goes, and I won't give that all yeah, away. Yeah, but we don't want to say too much. What I love about him is the fact that he's unafraid of showing that this is where he's been, because he's content where where he is now. The film, you know, we didn't want it to be um, uh, like a real confessional feeling. We didn't want it to have the feeling of like people self-flagellating. No, <laughs> you know, it, yeah. it was more like people saying, hey, this happened to me, I have a story to tell you. And it's uh, it's wonderful the way you've tied in the similarities, too. Yeah. You back them up with each other so that Hans Joaquin's Klein character is talking about the only thing that he's certain of is is uncertainty, essentially, at the end of the film. And, and you... And you back that up with, say, Bahia's character, who, who pretty much says the same thing. All these people who go through the catharsis that they go through, for whatever reason, lose their certainty and become almost devotees of doubt. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's interesting because, you know, again, like, I didn't uh, want to feed anybody any lines or anything, but some people have wondered, like, did you tell them what to say? Because <laughs> there's such amazing overlaps. Mm-hmm. But yeah. really, I mean, I think it was just in choosing people who had had um, the similar arc of experience that it naturally uh, came up that way, but sometimes it was eerie. I, in editing, I actually pulled back on some of that because it really started to feel like you oh, yeah. know, you've yeah, had the, these people. Yeah, some pivotal points in the film are moments of clarity, and not all of the moments of clarity are the end of this journey that these people are on. And I'm thinking of Joe once again. I'll just leave it at this violent incident episode that he has with his father. And the depiction of that with the using of the puppets for me was, I thought was a, you did a wonderful job conveying that, that violent, that violent episode and his moment when he did what he did and how he felt. I just thought that was a very, a very telling moment in the film. Yeah. Oh, thanks. Yeah. You know, one last thing about that scene is, um, you know, it's a scene where his, his uh, brother's being abused by his father. Uh, when, Joe and his brother first saw that. What was interesting is that they both feel, I think, that they know how to manage those, you know, that that experience now that they're adults, but both of them felt totally sucked back into it. And they both said it was those puppets, you know, because, again, the puppets, there's like one degree of abstraction, which makes it, like, 
real again, oddly. Yeah, it was a terrific use of those puppets in that in that part of the film. I want to ask you real quickly, because the, the Henry Darger story is such an interesting one. Well, you spent five years doing that Yeah, in your life. Is, how, how long did you spend, uh, just out of curiosity, too, I'll let Mike ask this question, yeah, but sure. how long was on the prota- protagonist? How long did that take well, for you? Well, the protagonist took actually, um, uh, you know, I say only like two and a half years, because uh-huh. mainly because we had, um, we were given the, the funding in the beginning so that we actually didn't have to, like, take time out and, you know, fundraise for a year and a half, right. which is certainly what happened with the Darger film. Uh-huh. My 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 really isn't a question. I just want to let people. I want to make people aware of the fact that you did that film as well in yeah. the realms of the unreal. That's the Henry Darger story, and really, you got to see that. Film. I, I tell you, it's, I've got to. I've got to. I, I, I admire you so much for your ability, uh, just on this level alone, which is that you've taken very little actual material about Darger is known. Very few photographs. Very few people even knew who he was. And you yeah. really made an extraordinary film about the subject, and we, we know a lot more about him based on, on what you did with that film, and, and I, I really enjoyed that experience, so I will oh, let you know. Thank you. I appreciate that so and, much. And now after two serious documentaries, Euripides and, and uh, Darger, you're, you're moving on to a narrative comedy, yes? That's right, yeah. Yes. We actually finished it um, in the, over the summer, and uh, it premiered at um, Toronto in the fall, so... Yeah, it's a it's a, a Asian American themed uh, comedy about ping pong. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> yeah, it's called ping pong play, and it's really it's it's very it's light and it's fun, and it was fun to do something so completely. Did, do you do you enjoy working narrative rather than uh, documentary? You know, it's, I, I guess for me, it's not a rather than. I, I just feel lucky if um, you know if I'm allowed to keep moving around i like uh i like the variety and the change and i'll say you, you have gray's anatomy yeah i wanted to point out gray's anatomy which is a terrifically successful fer- uh, series and one of my one of my favorite series was west wing and you you, you okay. you've directed yeah. some episodes of the west wing which were memorable to me so it's always it's good to see that you you like going back and forth they're like your children here right you you can't really pick one <laughs> or the other is it uh, yeah, yeah, and it's nice. I mean, you learn different things at different jobs. Yeah. And, and it's also, I mean, look at, you know, the situation with the strike. It's really important, I think, to have different, um, you know, things that you can do, different outlets for work. I mean, in one level, it's creative satisfaction you're looking for. On the other hand, it's also just wanting to have a job. Right. <laughs> so, you know, it's uh, although a documentary doesn't usually uh, fall into the latter category so much. Yeah, well, well, we certainly hope that the strike is settled amicably and, oh, and, and fairly and that we can all... Power you, to the writers. You, you and, and all, all the creative people can get back to what you do best, so... Uh, we, we wish you the best on all of that, and I want to thank you so much for being here on, on Film School. The film is Protagonist, the director, Jessica Yu. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you. I really enjoyed it. To learn more about Film School, listen to more interviews, or subscribe to our podcast, visit our website at KUCI.org slash filmschool.